Blog Talk Radio. In these pages, we will be surprised to find pieces of our own stories asking us to know ourselves better, realizing that life goes on, filled with hope and work, progress and achievement in every sector of cosmic life in keeping with God's laws. Hello, dear friends of Kardec Radio, and welcome back to the study of And Life Goes On. My name is Franziska Fehrenbach. And I am Mackenzie Mellon. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you? I'm doing great, friend. I'm, I'm awake with signs of renewal. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> renewal is for all of us every day, and that's the chapter title of chapter four of our book as well but before we listen to the reading of it Mackenzie could you tune us in with an opening prayer please oh yeah sure so if you can and if you want to let's close our eyes and open our hearts so that we can be more open to receive the blessings of our of our father our creator the one that gives us life and that shows us hope by saying, Dear God, my friend, our friend, we are here once again opening up to you and to your messengers so that we can, with the study of today, be able to learn, to know, and to feel a little bit more of your love for all of us through the lives of these people that were able to live, are still able to live, and to show us their choices and the consequences of their actions so that we can, learning with them, improve our own lives regarding our own future and the following of your laws. May your love be with us, with all of us, surrounding us, making us feel that we are part of your creation and of your family. So be it. So be it. So let's now listen to the reading of Chapter 4, And Life Goes On, Renewal. Enjoy. And life goes on. Chapter 4 Renewal Evelina only remembered the comforting presence of Ernesto, the friend she barely knew after Caio Serpa, her husband, left her in that spacious hospital room on the eve of her surgery. She was there now, mulling over strange thoughts. She was too young and was almost too sure of her recovery to dwell on any gloomy outlook. Nevertheless, as she lay there alone while waiting for the nurse, Fantini's assertions crossed her mind, stoking her imagination. Yes, she was distressed to realize she was about to face a serious risk. Perhaps she would not return to her family. 
If she did die, where would she go? When she was a little girl, she trustingly believed in predestined places of either happiness or suffering, according to what the old Catholic theology said about people's situation after death. Now, however, with science exploring the cosmic immensity, she was intelligent enough to realize how tactful her aging priest had been in speaking with her about the indispensable renewals being imposed on the religious realm. From him, her learned and kind friend, she had learned to keep an unwavering trust in God, in the divine apostolate of Jesus Christ, and the ineffable ministry of the saints. However, she had decided to set aside for reconsideration all statements of human authority regarding the things and workings of divine providence. The idea of death arose in her mind even more forcefully, but Evelina resisted it. She wanted health, physical well-being. She longed to recover, to live. Suddenly, she began to think about her problems at home. She was obviously going through a terrible phase in her marriage. Nevertheless, she had reason to believe that things could be happily worked out. She believed she was in her prime as a woman. The only thing she lacked was a return to physical health. Once she had recovered, she would apply herself in getting the other woman out of the picture. She would change her love interaction with her husband. She was so intent on making it better that her husband would of course return her love without her having to resort to acrimony or argument. More than that, she felt she was useful. She should get her life back, fight for it at any price. She should feel useful not only to her family, but also to less fortunate people. Of course, she could fight poverty whenever poverty could be found. Thinking about the needy touched her. How many were right there nearby, isolated from each other only by walls? Why hadn't she ever thought of that before? She had spent her life as a satellite, orbiting three people, her husband, mother and stepfather. Why not take back her energies, renew herself, live? Yes, she would refuse any thought about the phenomena of death and would concentrate all the strength she was capable of on re-establishing herself physically. She had read many psychologists and had learned the importance of a mental frame of mind. She desired to be healed. She would say it as many times as possible with all the emotional power she could muster, choosing words loaded with energy that would define the state of her soul more clearly. Ah, in that sense, I should also pray, she said to herself. Upon formulating this idea, she was suddenly met with a picture of the crucified Jesus hanging on the wall. She contemplated the sublime face the artist had shaped with deep sentiment, and crossing herself, she said more with her heart than with her lips. Lord, have mercy on me. But as she gazed on that head crowned with thorns, and those hands nailed to the cross of sacrifice, it seemed that Christ wished to be remembered by people in that depiction of pain so that they would be reminded of the inexorability of death. An intense moral jolt shook her nervous system. 
she no longer knew whether she should choose to live or to die. Hiding her face in her hands, she knelt down humbly in front of the delicate painting and wept copiously. Somebody spoke to her gently. Why are you crying, madam? An attentive nurse had come to prepare for her surgery. Evelina stood up, wiped her tears and smiled. I'm sorry. No, I'm the one who has disturbed you, Mrs. Serper. Forgive me for interrupting your prayers, but we need to get ready. Also, your husband is waiting to see you. The patient obeyed and left the room for a few minutes, returning soon thereafter. Her husband was waiting for her, reading the daily paper. So, he joked, pretending to sound good-humored, today the beauty parlor, tomorrow the return to health. Caio Serpa's voice displayed energy and tenderness at the same time. He was a young lawyer, but experienced in public relations, he exhibited studied, though pleasant manners. A true representative of the social elite, not a hair was out of place. However, one could say that, down deep, the young lawyer was hiding, trying hard not to reveal the enigmatic aspects of his soul. His physical appearance didn't match what he was feeling inside. The varnish of academia couldn't completely erase the animalistic remainders still present in the very human and natural character of the inhabitants of this earth. Furthermore, to our spirit perception, he displayed somber preoccupations. After his first tender words, he approached his wife and kissed her hair. She didn't try to hide her joy, and their conversation brimmed with affection. Evelina reiterated the certainty that she would recover soon, while Kyle spoke about the in-laws. On their small farm in the south, they would be awaiting the good news about the surgery and would be arriving for a visit at the first opportunity. They wouldn't come immediately so as not to seem overly concerned. They wanted to give their beloved daughter the impression that they were totally confident about the course of her treatment. And Kayo talked about much more. He had consulted with his doctor friends. He had researched interesting studies regarding adrenal gland surgery. Concerning Evelina's particular case, the surgeon was optimistic. What else could they hope for now but success with God's blessings? She was delighted to hear the expression, God's blessings. Was something new stirring in that beloved 30-year-old atheist? She asked herself. Kyle looked different more attentive. Being simple at heart, she didn't realize he was play-acting. Caio was making it all up. Neither the family doctor nor the surgeon had guaranteed anything more than an exploratory surgery with little hope of success. Even the cardiologist had almost advised against the operation and had agreed to it only because the young woman was about to die anyway. Why say no to a procedure that might save her life? Her husband knew the list of concerns. However, at that moment, he exhibited a comforting outlook and lied out of compassion when commenting on the tests that only confirmed the forewarnings regarding the severity of the situation.
Caio spent the night at the hospital as a companion of the patient. He helped the nurse on night duty to administer Evelina's pre-anesthesia tranquilizers. He surrounded the patient with love and care as if she were a child and he a caring father. The following day after the surgery, however, Caio was called in to see the surgeon. He blanched white when he received the prognosis. According to the resources of human science, Evelina had only a few more days to live. As her husband, he should take all the steps he deemed necessary to make her as comfortable as possible. The doctor summed up his opinion in only one sentence. She looks like a rose, completely eaten away by malignant agents. Although he wanted to, he no longer heard the learned remarks regarding neoplasms, secondary foci, metastases, and tumors that return after excision. Caio felt petrified. Tears streamed down his face. At the end of the display of sympathy and human tenderness with which he was comforted by the surgeon, he ran to be with his prostrate companion, and for several days and nights of patience and worry, he acted as her brother, father, tutor, and friend. At his behest, his in-laws came to console their daughter during her final days. Brigida, her mother, and Amancio Terra, her stepfather, owners of a prosperous farm in the south of Sao Paulo State, arrived completely forlorn, but they tried to find words of optimism while holding back their tears. Supported by the web of her family's devotion, Evelina seemed to improve and returned to her domestic world. There, she was pampered as she had not been for quite some time, while at the same time suffering the periodic choking spells that left her exhausted. Despite her perilous condition, she believed the uplifting opinions of her family and friends. She believed it would pass, that it was only the aftermath of the kind of surgery she had gone through. She should be confident and pray faithfully. After two weeks of alternating calm and relapse, she had six days of continuous well-being. Despite being extremely thin and weak, she left her bed for a lounge chair. She ate almost normally and talked peaceably. She also enjoyed religious comfort, compliments of a devoted priest, and in the evening she asked her stepfather to read her something joyful and pleasant for a few minutes. Late in the afternoon, on the fifth day of this hopeful outlook, Evelina made a surprising request. Would it be possible for Caio to take her to their favorite place when they were engaged? Morumbi at night? Asked her puzzled mother. Evelina explained her request. She wanted to see the sparkling lights of the city from a distance. She missed the starry sky. Caio phoned the doctor and the doctor gave his permission. Eager to please her once more, her husband pulled the car out of the garage and carrying her in his arms as if she were a little girl, he sat her comfortably beside him. Declining his in-laws' company, they set out. 
The patient was enthralled. She saw the busy streets once again, and afterwards the scenery of Morumbi and its nature-filled surroundings. Listening to her talk enthusiastically, Kyle was moved. It was as if she were his beloved once more, the woman he had loved passionately years before. He felt remorse at remembering his conjugal infidelity. He wanted to ask for her forgiveness, to confess, but realized that this was not the right time. He stopped the car and looked at her. Evelina seemed ethereal. Her eyes shone in the moonlight and her head moved as if haloed with light. Caio took her in his strong arms with the longing of someone who wanted to seize a treasure and protect it. In an irresistible rapture of love, he kissed her again and again until he felt her cool face moistened with hot tears. Evelina was weeping with joy. When she felt free of those beloved arms, she bent her head slightly to linger on the side of the sky, which now looked like a gigantic field decorated with flowers of silver and fire. Tayo, do you believe you will meet again after we die? She held his hand tightly and asked. He didn't answer, started the engine, urged her to change the subject, lovingly told her that she was forbidden from discussing what he regarded as sad things, and they headed back. On the way home, Evelina remembered how easy it had been to talk to Ernesto Fantini, the unexpected friend at the resort. She couldn't explain why, but she missed his gentle and pleasant presence. She was thirsty for spiritual conversation. She desired to talk about the secrets of eternal life and to listen to someone on the same topic and the same wavelength. At that moment, however, Caio gave her the impression of a strange violin that no longer responded to the strings of the bow. Her sublime emotions died in her chest for want of expansion and response. For that reason, she preferred to simply listen to her husband, to bless him and do as he wished. One more peaceful day, and then Evelina woke up in a crisis, getting worse and worse despite the painkillers the young Mrs. Serpa had spent her last night in the world. Before the profound sorrow of her husband and parents, who had done everything they could to keep her alive, Evelina, exhausted, closed the eyes of her physical body in final deliverance, just as the stars were fading in the new dawn. Translator's Note Morumbi At the time the book was written, Morumbi was a green tract of land near the center of Sao Paulo. Today, it is an upscale residential area.
So, dear friends, here we are back again with Evelina, and now we don't have Ernesto in the picture anymore. We, if you remember, last week we left their presence when they were leaving that uh, place to go back to their regular lives, if we can call it that way, uh, both of them to go and do their surgery to see what would happen. And as of right now, we know that uh, by having listened uh, to the chapter, to the reading of the chapter, that Evelina had her surgery and was not able to, her body was not able to survive the the, the disease and the surgery was not um, was not able to correct the, the the problem with her body and then she discarnated but uh, and we and we see that she remembers Ernesto at the end of the chapter but she also remembers Ernesto at the very beginning of the chapter and that's how Andrea Luis starts a description by saying Evelina only remember the comforting presence of Ernesto the friend she barely knew, after Caio Serpa, her husband, left her in that spacious hospital room on the eve of her surgery. So it was the day before of her surgery. She's right there at the hospital. Um, she didn't remember Ernesto. But now, at this time of, of trial, of at this moment that, you know, of the uncertainties of what's going to happen, um, she now remembers Ernesto, and uh, Ernesto is is going to play a big role in in this chapter as well. Though she's barely mentioned or mentioned in the beginning and at the end, but it, his impact on Evelina's life is is really big. So she is there at the at the surge at the 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 hospital, waiting, waiting to to be. Uh, um, to be treated, I, I should say, and uh, but she doesn't want to to uh, to to be like sad. She wants to 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 live, and that's the first thing that I like about this this chapter is that despite all the difficulties, despite all the problems, and then should she should be given, she could be given up, she could be uh, be very sad, and she could be. Uh, but but she is not. She is hopeful that she will uh, still live uh, physically, that she uh, can survive this surgery and that she would go back to her family. And that's one thing that's uh, really important for all of us, is that despite being realistic, and we need to be realistic, but we need to keep, keep up the hope despite... Um, some some problems can can really turn us down sometimes and make us feel feel sad or feel overly preoccupied. But um, and I'm not even here at this specific moment talking about because we are spiritists. No, we, I'm really talking about the opportunity and the blessing of life that we had been given by God. And um, if we remember it well, and she says it in the beginning here is of this chapter, she is a Catholic, right? So she doesn't have this idea uh, really uh, ingrained on her of the of the survival after that. She usually she doesn't think of that at that often as as we do, 
And uh, we see this very clearly here because when she starts thinking about Jesus and then she looks at, at a at a uh, at a wall and then there's this painting or this figure of Jesus there you know, hanging on the cross as we usually see him more frequently than in other depictions uh, she remembers him but at the same idea she at the same time she says oh but he is uh, uh, dying he is suffering and then that reminded her that she can, will die one day but that she can die and that was uh, that was a shock to her, and she she starts crying. But I mean, I I, I jumped over a few things here in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, but but this is is very striking to me, that despite all this, you know, when she's crying and so on, but uh, she uh, she is in she's she questions herself, you know, in in a certain way, although it's not written here, but. You know, am I going to survive? I'm not going to survive. Uh, I still want to live. But wh what is this life? What am What am I doing here? And uh, but one thing that that she does, uh, despite all the, the the psychologists or the people were telling her to to have this this positive outlook on what she would feel, she says, "Oh, in this sense, I should also pray," which is something that. Uh, we, we should always remember to do, uh, be it when we are in a, going through good times, um, which we should do it the same way, with the same intensity as when we are going through hard times. Uh, but we tend to go and pray more when we are suffering than when we are not suffering, right? Or at least with different intensities. And this is something that... Um, um, made me you know, think and want to talk about this because uh, she probably prays and we probably pray but that that made me question myself what is the intensity that I pray when I'm not suffering is it with the same intensity when I really want something right is it when I need something because I am suffering or because I am going through a hard time and this is not questioning Evelina here. This is really questioning myself. What is the my intention when I'm praying? Right? Is it is it always and only to ask for something, or do I really pray with the same intensity when I'm being grateful to God for really what is happening uh, to me when when things are good? So this is something I'd like to to put it out there. Uh, despite not specifically being here, because uh, this this piece, this beginning of this chapter, made me made me think about what do you have to to say, friend, about this this beginning and and going forward with the chapter. Yeah, Mackenzie, um, when we are facing any kind of serious illness or an accident or something like that, usually it's the point when we or people in general start to think about the meaning of life reconsider their religious beliefs and um, it's the same with her because when she's by herself she's reflecting upon her life reconsidering for example um, why hadn't she thought about poverty and now she makes these 
in a way, so she's a little bit bargaining with God because it's all, if you let me die, uh, sorry, if you let me live, then I will be useful more than I have and I will help un less unfortunate people fight uh, fighting poverty and so on. But at the same time, she asks herself, well, hold on a minute. Why have I never thought about that before in my 26 years of life? And the answer is simple because she she explains she has been living for her husband, her mother, and her stepfather. That's it. So she had her own little universe of people she cared about. And um, despite her following the Catholic faith, she hadn't put, apparently, like what we get the information here, the information we get here, she hadn't put into practice the charity towards the brothers and sisters that are living around us. So all these these reflections are really like uh, the typical reflections we go through when we are facing death or the possibility of death in our lives. And she is also doing everything to put herself in a positive mind frame because she had learned that this is useful. So in a way, she has some some awareness of the power of thoughts. And that's where the point that you mentioned already, when she remembers to also pray. And like you said, Ernesto Fantini had a big influence on her because most likely she wouldn't have thought about these things and ending um, asking Caio if he thinks that they will meet again after they die. So this shows that she has taken in something of of the conversation with Ernesto and also that she she's very unsure. She doesn't really know if she's going to live or die. Her will is everything to do to be able to live, but she knows that God's will is above anything else. Then after her prayers, the nurse interrupts her and takes her to Sicayo. And now we're introduced for the first time. Right, we, we see him. She has spoken about him a little bit, but now we we get some facts about him. So he's thirty years old, a successful lawyer, displaying all um the appearance of a high class well-accomplished man, but the manners are all studied. He is putting on a mask of positivity, of lying to her out of compassion, saying that the doctor had said that his case is very positive, the doctor sees it with a likely positive outcome, which is not true at all. So he tries to comfort her and because she was simple at heart, she didn't realize he was playing act. She already knew inofficially that she that he is betraying or has been betraying her with another woman. But um she her heart is filled with love and um good thoughts about him as she receives these 
acts of kindness and of love and compassion from him. And so she enters the surgery in the best possible mind frame. She is not concerned, well, at least not in that way, but um, she is going through the procedures with as much confidence as possible. And he is considering or talking to her and um, relating to her more as if she were a child and he the caring father. So he's there strong in his health, successful in his profession, very sure about the things he knows about life. But after the surgery, he is shaken because the doctor tells him, your wife only has a few more days to live. Make her as comfortable as you possible, as possible. And um, this is a beautiful image for you, Mackenzie, because the doctor says she looks like a rose completely eaten away by malignant agents. Yeah, that's that's true. I I love this imagery. I um, unfortunately this one is is something that uh, it does not bring a, a happy smile if we think about her physically speaking. But when we know the story and uh, we know that this is to uh, and we understand that the purpose of of everything and how we get it and why we get some of these problems. Um, we understand that although it's it's bad, it's sad, uh, seen from the human perspective or from the physical perspective, we understand that things happen for for a reason and it has a cause. And what is interesting here is that despite uh, having this sad tone, this this part of the of the story here, when she and we know that she's gonna gonna die she's gonna pass away um, but is is um, uh, we can see Kyle here really having a hard time and we know that he has feelings right uh, because you know sometimes when we see a person doing something wrong we we tend to think and judge the person that the person is doing everything else wrong so the person is the most evil person ever and or when the person does something good or she or he is the best person ever and we tend to go to sometimes to those extremes and like you mentioned we know that Caio is is uh, betraying her has this other woman when uh, and she mentioned as you said she mentioned it before and she said it right in the beginning of the chapter oh I will be able to to bring him back you know, to uh, to take that woman out of the picture, so that on part of that bargaining that she was making with with God, and then we when we look at this and we say, oh, Caio is a terrible person. Well, he may have done something really wrong, and he uh, he is doing something really wrong, but he's not the worst person ever to to be alive, right? Uh, and uh, just like Evelina, we don't know what she did. We don't know why she's going through this. And like we said in the beginning of when we started studying the book, uh, let's not judge 
right? Let's just take the, the story of, of, of these characters as real people, just like as we know a lot of people that have committed, you know, a mistake here and there, but they're, they're striving to do their best and hopefully we are doing the same and striving to do our best at these moments with the knowledge and with all we know so far from spiritism is to try not to judge other people and try to see good things on on everybody so uh it is it is sad because by her, the description that we have uh from evelina she really like a, she's really like a rose and uh, but unfortunately the rose is you know is is dying and there are some agents or malignant agents eating up uh, her body her physical body but we can see like i was saying that we can see these signs of renewal and uh, before we started friend uh, we were talking about why do we think that this chapter is called renewal and we see uh, evelina to some degree being transformed here and we also see in kyle and that uh, just dawned on me when i started when we when we started talking and when we got to this Kayo moment here, that we see in him uh, this this flame again, right, being um, being uh, lit again, and uh, he, he even thinks at one at one moment, oh, uh, uh, what like what did I do? Couldn't I do it differently? Uh, she she sees in in her uh, that light that she, he saw it before and that he got a little bit. Uh, discouraged when she was not able to give him a, a son or a daughter, and uh, then she he he started to to do the the bad things he he started to do. But um, he is he has this this awakening to some degree. It's not a full renewal, but is is it is how it starts. Uh, and by putting ourselves in the place of of a Kyle, not in in his place specifically, as we say, but in trying to to uh, to see the situation that he's in, uh, he's he's to some degree he's being called to awake, right? To be to to be renewed. And how many times were we called before, right? How many times in how many situations? Uh, did we receive this this calling, right? And say, look, you're living, you're going through this. What are you going to do with this? Shouldn't you change? Shouldn't you do something different? Shouldn't you stop and rethink what you did and rethink how you're going to behave from now on? And that's that's uh, that's his call at this moment, right? It's a calling to everybody involved, of course. But he is the one, or he is one of the ones that are really at the core of the the, the earthquake here, or the, the the tornado here. He's right there in the eye of of the situation, and uh, the thing is, what's going to happen to him? But not to him, right? It's is uh, it, it is what's going to happen to us, right? Um, we we never know what what can happen. We can face, we, we, maybe there's somebody that's listening to us right now that's facing something similar to this. A person in their family that's about to die or a person in the family that uh, just died. And now what, right? What is, what is this, uh, this moment? What is this moment worth? Uh, sh- shouldn't it be worth for me to really think about life? 
not to think about death, but to think about life in that way of uh, what I do has uh, repercussions in, on the rest of my life. The other person is still going on and I'm here. What should I do? What 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 will be my my next steps? And and that's maybe what he is seeing, right? He he says, uh, uh, Andre Lewis describes here that Caio was moved, listening to her talk enthusiastically. It was as if she were his beloved once more, the woman he had loved passionately years before. So he felt remorse at remembering his conjugal infidelity. He wanted to ask for her forgiveness, to confess, but realized that this was not the right time. So that's the question. When is the right time? Right? Isn't it right now that we need to do what we need to do right now? When is it going to be the right time? If we don't set out, set out to do what needs to be done, when will be the right time? Right? Uh, maybe you know a person can can stop and say, "Oh, but Mackenzie, there there are better times to do stuff." Yeah, I know, and I, I'm not talking about you know choosing between today and tomorrow. What I'm saying is that choosing between today and tomorrow is not for us to get to tomorrow if we chose tomorrow and say, "Oh, but tomorrow, then tomorrow now is today." And then I'm going to think about it again and say, oh, should I do it now or should I do it tomorrow? And then tomorrow becomes two days after today, three days, a year, two years, three years, and we never do it because we never find the right time to do it. And if we think it, if we think about it, right, by, of course, looking at the past, we can see here that that was the time for him, that the time was right there. He could have changed everything right there doing it right there oh oh but she is about to die and if that isn't the right time when will it be if she's going to die right and in his case he's about to uh, to lose the the one that she just noticed that was his beloved his the love of his life and then he doesn't say it because and we don't know why and once again not to judge but to think about ourselves when is it, when is the right time to say and to do something that really alter our perspective that alters our life that will change ourselves and that's the question that we need to pose ourselves do we want to change do we want to change for the better or do we want to keep uh doing the same and, and performing the same um acts and keep repeating sometimes the same mistakes and uh, he doesn't do it. He stops the car, looks at her. Evelina seemed ethereal. So the eyes shining. And Caio takes her uh, in his arms. And I know it's it's kind of hard to, to do something at a time like this the way he wanted. Because he wants to protect her. But and what about tomorrow? What will happen to her tomorrow? So... My question to you, friend, what happens to Evelina right after this beautiful encounter at the Morumbi? Yeah, in a way, it's the highlight before the great transition, which is her discarnation. I guess um, after the surgery, she spent more or less two weeks, um, always in between being calm, 
and then relapsing, having those crises. And then she had a few days where she felt better. And that's when she asked to be taken to Morumbi at night. And it's a it's a beautiful ending to a new beginning because I guess she felt that her time was coming close. And often we ask, oh, but they're getting better. And, you know, the family and friends think, oh, maybe life goes on here. Um, but it's not often it is from a spiritual perspective to calm the people around the one who is leaving. Because with our energy, with our thoughts, we can be disruptive to the process of discarnation in spending energy or giving energy to a loved one that doesn't need it anymore. Um, so for her, she has this highlight, once again, feeling loved by her husband after all those difficulties. And like you said, we don't know the full story. We don't know Kaya's background. We don't know much about her background either. And we don't know how the relationship was when they were um, at the beginning of their relationship. So if you put ourselves in his shoes, we can, I guess, we become more compassionate towards him as well because it must have been very frustrating for him not to be able to become a father, to have children like they both wanted to, to then see his wife dying of an illness, always being weak and um, without a disposition to, to do anything. So this is not an excuse. This is just for us to open our hearts and minds so that we include in it all the people we see and look beyond the masks, beyond the first impression that we have. And um, two more people are mentioned very quickly, so we know the names. One is Brigida, uh, Brigida which is her mother, Evelina's mother, and Amancio Terra, her stepfather, and they both own a prosperous farm in the south of Sao Paulo. So they came to be with their daughter as well in the final days. They didn't know how to deal with the situation either. So everybody pampered Evelina. And I'm sure she she enjoyed that after the difficult times in her marriage. And she ends her life being surrounded by the people she loved, the people she cared most about, and thirsty for spiritual conversation, which Kaya wasn't able to, to give her because, like you said, he changed the subject, took her back home. But she was ready, I believe, to go on into the other life. Right, Mackenzie? Yeah, ready to ready to go. Uh, sad things, right, friend, is uh um it is interesting and this this reminds me of 
of the conversation that actually Evelina had with Ernesto when he asked her and uh, asked her about do you think that we would be talking about these things if we were at a party for example no so the situation the circumstances make us think different things and make us reflect on different things and that makes me question uh, me that makes me question actually why I talk about certain things why I don't talk about certain things at certain times and of course it all depends on the circumstances it depends to whom we are talking to how the conversation is going and coming back again to what Kai was saying saying to uh, to himself oh no I'm not going to talk about this right now the situation is is not the right moment to do it and uh this makes makes up for all for for our minds and specifically here for my mind to sometimes be a little confused and and say uh should I be be talking about this or not should I be thinking about this or not but i have one thing to to say that when we are certain that we are going to travel to a place and that there's no escape from that trip i'm going to do it the days are getting closer for me to go to that specific place wherever that place is i need to prepare to go there and i can you know start the preparation um from a distance you know from a distance in time and say oh what am i going to do there what should i start looking at and then we go to a website and then oh what places should i go visit what should i do where should i eat um how should i behave is this thing that i do normally where i live is it acceptable where i'm going to right and we have different cultures we have different uh behaviors in different places and some stuff that we do in one place might be completely wrong or might be disrespectful in other places so um when we are certain and Evelina right here is certain and that's you know we already know that she she discarnated um we need to to start to think about you know the day that we will go and it's not in a morbid way but in a way that okay i am going you know one day and what is the bad side of thinking about this you know only if it's the morbid side and you know i want to go but we can clearly see her um uh, thinking about it in a di- completely different way she is really thinking about it in a way of hope uh in a way of life really going on and um uh, that's how we we finished the chapter right that uh that you know she is alive but it is as and another good image of this you know um it's a violin that no longer responded to the strings of to the strings of the bow right so um she is actually talking about kayo but we can clearly see her the same way right it, it, it is as if the her body doesn't respond anymore but she still has evelina inside of herself and that's what we need to learn about ourselves right 
If my body is not responding, it's not Mackenzie that's not responding anymore. It's Mackenzie's body that's not responding anymore. Mackenzie still lives. Mackenzie still responds. Mackenzie still goes on as Fran goes on, as John goes on, as Kaya will go on, as Ernesto will go on, as all of us will go on. But, of course, it is sad. It is... It is uh, uh, we we miss the person. We will miss the the physical presence of that person. Uh, but at that moment, right when she is she is thinking about uh, the situation that she lived, and uh, with Kayo, when like the the sentence I just read, that she wanted to talk about something different than what Kayo was talking. She felt like Ernesto. Um, she remembered Ernesto, but I, I can almost see that she felt Ernesto's presence. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know if she he already went through her, his surgery, if he died or if he survived as of this moment in reading the book. So uh, we don't know exactly what's going on here, but uh, she is feeling that sense of, oh, I wish I could really talk to someone about this so that I could um, really, really think about me in a different way. And that's a big sign of renewal, or at least the beginning of a renewal. Just like Kayo had his chance, she is having her chance right now. Uh, and she has taken it. Uh, doesn't have any more time to do it physically. Her body just uh, can't take it anymore. And they are all um, you know, suffering at that moment, right? The profound, um, profound sorrow of her, of their, uh, of her parents, of her husband. You know, she was exhausted, and then, at that moment, she closed her eyes, you know, but not Evelina's eyes, Evelina's body's eyes closed in a final deliverance and when she you know, moves on when the body doesn't uh, can't take it anymore can't survive it has to stay and she needs to go she needs to go on when in those final moments like Andra says you close their eyes just as the stars were fading in the new dawn. And that will happen to all of us. Um, it might be emotional. It will be emotional. It will be, you know, bring you know, lots of good memories, hopefully, the way we lived. And hopefully at that moment, her parents are, you know, sad, but also remembering her when she was a daughter, when she was younger. And and she was running and bringing good memories and you know, making them suffer, of course, but also remembering life, not just thinking about death. So when I say that we need, we need to think about that moment when we are going to travel, it's not to think about death, but actually to think about life because, friend, and maybe that's the big reason of why this book is called In Life Goes On because when we think about death we need to remember that 
life goes on, right? Yeah, that's true. And just to lift us all up, a little teaser for next week, because Chapter 5 is entitled Reunion. So we wish you many blessings, dear listeners. Uh, time to reflect on the things we've discussed here today. And we're looking forward to being back together with you on Cardiac Radio next week. Have a great week, everyone. See you next time.